If you would turn in your Bibles to uh, John chapter 13, as we continue this morning participating in uh, and celebrating Palm Sunday, John 13, we recognize the significance of uh, this event in the fact that all four Gospels, as was mentioned earlier this morning, include this event. It, it marks the beginning of the final week of, of Jesus' earthly ministry leading to his death and resurrection. Uh, all four gospel writers uh, commit uh, by far the largest portion of their gospel to this one week uh, in our Lord's earthly life and ministry. And of all four, John spends the most time on these last days. Of John's 21 chapters, almost half, about 10 chapters comprise the final week of Jesus' earthly ministry, almost half his gospel. It begins in chapter 12, really the end of chapter 11, but into 12 we see recorded in John the triumphal entry. Jesus rides into Jerusalem, recognized as king. Uh, We remember that palm branches are laid before him, cloaks are laid out before him. Uh, We see this mentioned throughout the Old Testament, a recognition of uh, a king's royalty, a person's kingship, and they are laid before him. Uh, We read in John 12, people uh, calling out from Psalm 118, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. And then John quotes from Zechariah chapter 9, what we heard read earlier. Fear not, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. And indeed, we see the humility of Christ. If you have heard sermons preached on Palm Sunday and the triumphal entry of Jesus, oftentimes the humility of our Lord is emphasized, and and rightly so. And yet, it's as we move further into Passion Week that we see all the more the heart of our King, the kind of King we serve. And, And so I draw our attention to John 13, further along into Passion Week, most likely on a Thursday night, the night before Christ is crucified. He is with his disciples in the upper room. The Passover meal has been prepared. And it is here in this scene that we see not only the kind of king that we serve, the kind of king that we worship, but we see here why it is that we, you and I, need this kind of king in our lives. So John chapter 13 Verses 1 through 17. Listen now to the word of God. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands... And that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose up from the supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. 
Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. In the introduction to John's uh, gospel, the reformer, John Calvin, uh, makes a unique and it seems to me very insightful comment Uh, Introduction to John's Gospel, uh, John Calvin says, All four Gospels show us the person and the work of Christ. They all show us his purpose in coming into the world, his obedient life to the Father, his atoning sacrifice on the cross to atone for sin, his resurrection from the dead. But then he says this, The first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they show us Christ's body, but John shows us his soul. The first three show us Christ's body, but John shows us his soul. That that is, all four Gospels present the the body of Christ's work, his, his life, his death, his resurrection, the good news that is accomplished for us. But John, Calvin is saying, brings us further into the heart of our Lord, the heart of Christ. And one of the places that we see the heart of our Lord that is unique to John is indeed the farewell discourse. These chapters in John that are exclusive to John, chapters 13 through 17, we see the heart of our Lord. You can flip through your Bible. In chapter 13, we have the washing of the disciples' feet in the upper room. In, In chapter 14, the promise of Christ's presence by the Spirit When Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Chapter 15, the famous vine and branches. I am the vine, Jesus says, you are the branches. Abide in me and I will abide in you. Into chapter 16, we have the ministry of the Spirit. The promise of the Comforter who who turns sorrow into joy. And he points his disciples to, to the glory of Christ. And chapter 17, the High priestly prayer, Jesus praying and interceding for his disciples and for us, the church. And if you step back for a moment, it's no wonder that that John is the one who brings us further into the heart of Jesus. This is the disciple, remember, in chapter 19 of John, as Jesus is hanging on the cross, looks down and sees his mother and sees John, the disciple throughout the gospel of John, it says, whom Jesus loved. And he says to John, behold, your mother. And to his mother, he says, behold, your son. He entrusts the very care of his mother to this disciple. 
Uh, this, this is the disciple as well who later in chapter 13, the very chapter we're considering, while he's reclining at the table together with Jesus, we're told he was at Jesus' side, even leaning up against him. This is the disciple whom Jesus loved. They had a close relationship. They had a close friendship, it seems very clear. And here John not only brings us into the heart further of our Lord Jesus, but he has painted a masterful picture and portrait in this text. And he wants us to pick up on some of the details of this portrait. He wants us to stop and pay close attention to them. There's details here to see in this portrait. Now, if you're an artist or you have background with artwork, when you look at a piece of artwork, you would likely or more likely pick up on some of the finer touches or details that that, art, that artist has put forth. Uh, if you're like me, though, and you're looking at a great piece of artwork, a, a Rembrandt or a Monet, you might look at it for 30 seconds, maybe a minute or two, nod your head and kind of move on and just think to yourself, well, that, that looks nice, that looks great and not see any of the fine touches that the artist has put into the artwork. But there's a richness in this portrait, there's a richness in this text that John, inspired by the Spirit, wants us to see several uh, finer points. For, for example, uh, did you notice the word understand through the text is repeated? John doesn't repeat this because he didn't have another word to choose, he repeats the word understand a few times, very likely to make a point. And in fact, in this whole scene, perhaps at the height of the scene, is when Jesus approaches Peter, and Peter's uncomfortable. Peter is almost refusing the ministry of his, of his Lord. And what does Jesus say to him in verse 7? What I am doing, you do not understand now. But afterward, you will understand. He says it again in verse 12, after he has finished washing the disciples' feet. What does he say? Do you understand what I have done to you? It seems this is very much at the heart of this text. Do we understand the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ? Do we understand the kind of relationship the Lord Jesus desires with his people? What it is that defines that relationship? How the ministry and service and work of Christ is to work in our own lives. Do we understand him, his heart? And our understanding of this whole story and text is helped by the context, which we're given in verse 1. It says, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, during supper. This is during the Passover meal, the Passover celebration. John has given us another detail in this portrait with the words, his hour had come. When you read through the Gospel of John, you, you note that John weaves this theme of the hour or the time throughout. The, the hour refers to the climactic event of Jesus' death and resurrection. And we see his use of this term, the hour, 
throughout his words. At the wedding in Cana, uh, back in chapter 2, he said to his mother, Woman, what concern is this to you? My hour has not yet come. Later in chapter 7, the authorities seek to arrest Jesus, but it says no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. And now here we are, John says his hour had come. His hour had come. The time had come. And it's no coincidence that this hour comes right in the middle of what? Passover. This memorial feast going back to the story of Exodus, centering on the redemption of God's people through the shedding of a lamb's blood. It was the central redemptive act that gave shape to the people of God throughout history. Remember what the Lord said through Moses back in Exodus chapter 12, the Exodus story, the Passover story. He says, every household shall take a lamb and cover the doorposts of your house with its blood. And the blood shall be a sign for you. When I see the blood, I will, what, pass over you. This day shall be a memorial for generations to come. And Jesus is with his disciples participating in the Passover meal. And it's during this meal that Jesus takes bread and he says, this is my body, which is for you. And he takes the cup and says, this is the new covenant, the everlasting covenant that is sealed forever in in my blood. It's really a remarkable scene. They're not only celebrating the most important feast, Passover, the most important event in Israel's life, but the significance of this meal is really heightened all the more as Jesus is disclosing the deeper meaning of it. He is the Passover lamb. He is the suffering servant prophesied in Isaiah. It's his shed blood alone that can cleanse from sin. Do they understand? Do we understand? And it's really remarkable, and I think a practical point for us, that these men, these disciples, are common. These are common people. But they have, in a sense, a place at the table. They have a place in the room with Jesus, a place in the upper room. And this is true for everyone who calls upon Jesus Christ. There is a place to be in the presence of the Lord Jesus. It's the most important meal, and yet it's for the most common of people. And he extends that invitation to people that they might know his ministry, his cleansing grace in their lives. But then something even more remarkable occurs in the scene. Because we're told in verse 2 and verse 4 that during the supper, in the midst of the supper, what does Jesus do? He rises up from the meal, he gets up from the meal, he lays aside his outer garments, and he wraps around himself a towel around his waist to begin washing and drying the feet of the disciples. So think about this for a moment. It's the most important celebration in Israel's life most important meal in Israel's life. And what does Jesus do? Very plainly, very boldly, interrupts the meal. It's in the middle of the meal. 
He interrupts the meal, draws attention to himself. The disciples, I'm sure, as things are unfolding, are wondering, what, what is our teacher, what is our Lord doing? He draws attention to himself. As important as the Passover meal is, Jesus is clearly pointing to himself as having greater importance. It's what this meal has anticipated. The true Lamb of God is going to be slaughtered. It's going to be crucified. They don't understand now, uh, but they will understand. So they're learning the kind of Lord who has called them, the kind of king who leads them. This is a king that is going to accomplish victory for his people, not through the triumphing over enemies through uh, the sword, but by transforming people, by his word, by his grace, through his own humiliation. So it's a humble king. And think about the image of Jesus removing the outer garments and then putting on another garment, a towel, wrapped around his waist. What does this image represent? I think it's a great picture that captures the whole of our Lord's ministry. Jesus removes the outer garments, his divine rights, his divine prerogatives, his place in heaven to condescend to come and dwell with people to carry out uh, this work of redemption. Wrapping round himself a towel. From heavenly garments to earthly garments. A fourth century uh, bishop uh, wrote these words. He who wraps the heavens in clouds wrapped around himself a towel. He who pours water into the rivers and pools tipped water into a basin. And he before whom every knee bends in heaven and on earth and under the earth knelt to wash the feet of his disciples. Part of what challenges the disciples' thinking and understanding here is the cultural norm of foot washing. Uh, This is a a day, of course, in which uh, people wore sandals. They walked on dirt paths. This was the normal mode of transportation. And so having guests, friends, family over for a meal, the normal practice would be to have a servant at the entryway of your home to wash the feet of your guests before they entered. Uh, Most Jews would not think of sitting down for dinner without having their feet cleaned any more than you or I, after working all day out in the garden, would sit down for dinner without washing our hands. But there's something different here. Another detail John wants us to pick up on. Because when Jesus takes the basin of water... They're already eating. They've already been celebrating the Passover meal. The cultural foot washing has already happened. Their feet aren't dirty. What is Jesus doing? It's clear. This is not about the removing of dirt from their feet. This is about the removal of sin, guilt, shame through the cleansing grace and shed blood of Christ. And it's depicted as a foot washing, something they could grasp. So now the focus shifts, perhaps in an uncomfortable way for the disciples. Indeed, for Peter, we know, and likely the others. Jesus begins to make his way around to each disciple. 
Verse 5, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. The attention has gone from Jesus. Now he is placing attention. The attention is shifting to each and every disciple. Yes, they're together in the upper room corporately, but he addresses them each individually. How important that is. He comes to each one of us. He comes to each of his followers that they would know their need of him and his mercy and his grace. He's performing what I'm calling a directed love. The love of Christ is not a mere general love. Yes, God has a common grace. He causes the the sun to rise and the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. But this is a special directed love. And how important this is at a time like this in our lives. In this world, in our nation, in our church. uh, Uncertainty about the future, a spreading Virus causing sickness and death. Whole nations and economies are uh, shaken. Normal life is disrupted. It's out of sorts. There's potential fear and anxiety among many. And yet we ask ourselves, what is my greatest need? What is my greatest, deepest need? But to know the personal, the redemptive, cleansing love of the Lord Jesus Christ for me, for you. That the same Lord who bent down, who stooped down to wash the feet of the disciples, stoops down to wash ours. But what happens when he comes to Peter? Verses 6 through 8. Lord, do you wash me? Peter says. You shall never wash my feet. Peter struggles. Why does Peter struggle with this? Perhaps it's because he has defined his life with Christ primarily based on what he does for Jesus rather than on what Jesus is doing for him and must do for him. It's a massive, it's a significant question. How do you define your relationship to Christ? Do you see yourself first as a a student or a servant of his? a brother or sister adopted into his family. Indeed, these are all true, all important. But here what defines us most is not what we give to the Lord. It's not how we first serve him. It's first and foremost what we receive from him. He says, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. If I do not wash you, You cannot enter my kingdom. You cannot know my power, my forgiveness, my peace, my rest. Then Lord, Peter says, not only my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Once again, Peter. You want to say, oh, Peter. Peter only partially understands. Jesus goes on to explain in verse 10. The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean. Those who are in Jesus Christ, who have received Christ as Lord, they've been forgiven, they've been justified, made the children of God, acceptable to the Lord. 
That is, in the picture, they've bathed in the saving mercy of Christ. But just as in our physical, daily, practical living, one shower, one bath doesn't last a year. And I wouldn't suggest trying. We need, even as those justified and forgiven, daily, regular washing. I think it's critical to the story. Jesus is teaching his disciples. It's the farewell discourse. He's preparing for his departure. He's preparing them. What do they need? They need his presence. They need his spirit. They need his ministry in their lives. Each passing hour, each passing day. And how we know this as his followers. Our peace, our strength rests upon his presence in our lives his ongoing ministry in our lives. We daily sin. We daily fall into those places of shame and guilt. We daily cloud our conscience with a self-centered life. And and Jesus says, you must sit before me. You must enter my presence. I must wash you again. You need my ministry uh, to you. We sing those words, Rock of Ages, Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. Then Jesus resumes his place. He sits back down to teach them not only of their need, for his washing and mercy, this lamb who takes away the sin of the world, but how his washing is to become the pattern for their whole way of living. In verse 14, he says, If I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I've given you an example that you should do the same. So the foot washing, it teaches us not only of our need for the gospel and the need for Christ's ministry in our lives, but how to live our life out in Christ, how to live out the gospel. New Testament scholar uh, Dale Bruner, he says the foot washing not only depicts what God has done for us in Christ, but how disciples can live this out in mutual service, forgiveness, patience, good listening, good hospitality, good attention to others, good presence with spouse and children, a whole way of life, Jesus' foot washing is not only teaches us the Christian gospel, it also teaches us the Christian ethic. This is the example, the pattern of our living as well. And what great opportunity we have, uh, even this week, to be ministered to by the grace and presence of Christ through prayer and through fasting. As you receive the letter from myself, the email, uh, our whole denomination is participating in a a whole day fast on this Friday, Good Friday. I want to encourage you to participate in that. I want to encourage you in this time as much as ever to set time aside uh, for prayer with the Lord. Uh, We have great opportunity right now amidst being uh, closed in at, at home all the more to serve those around us. Uh, It has been a blessing this past week. Uh, as Mark Popovich has helped uh, create an avenue for Zoom for people to connect. And I want to encourage you this week 
choose one day. Some of us will likely be connecting tonight at 6.30, uh, but most nights it's been at 7.30. It's been a wonderful way uh, to reconnect in fellowship and uh, to love one another in that time. In all of these things, uh, remember uh, the Lord Jesus who is with us, who continues to minister uh, to each and every one of us. Let's pray together. Oh, gracious God, how we thank you for your mercy, uh, for the cleansing blood of your Son shed for us. Lord, how we thank you that you have called us to yourself, that um, though uncomfortable, you, you put us in a place where we know that we are dependent upon you, that we need your ministry to us. Lord, I pray that you will bind us together as your people, that we would all together rest in your sustaining mercy. Lord, those who may not know you, may they draw near to you, that you may save them from sin and death, from your very wrath and judgment. Lord, give us new life. And then daily, Lord, may we sit before you, that that your grace and mercy may wash over us that we may know your strength by your Spirit in this time. Lord, you know the challenge uh, that we are enduring. We know that you have ordained all things, and yet you are the God of comfort. You are the God who sustains and leads his people. And so we continue to look to you as our good shepherd who has laid down his life for us. We look to you as our chief shepherd, cares and oversees Uh, this congregation and our very souls. Minister to us, Lord. May we be filled with joy in your presence. For this we pray all in Jesus' name. Amen.